Did you ever find that you have your best learning conversations with your colleagues off the record and over a cup of tea? We do and we want to share them. I'm Claire Lancaster and I'm the Educational Psychologist at Tanglin Trust School. And I'm Benina Richards and I'm the Director of Continuous Professional Development at Tanglin. Welcome to Growth and Development. Today on the podcast, we are going to be talking about a difficult subject for some. So we just want to give you a bit of a trigger warning before we start that the focus of the podcast today is going to be about suicide. So we just want to put that out there because if you yourself are feeling at risk or are feeling um, very recently affected by suicide, it may not be the best subject for you to listen to right now. And we also want to let you know that if you are feeling at risk, um, if you're in Singapore, please reach out to the Samaritans of Singapore. They can be reached on 1800 221 If you're somewhere else in the world, you can find out what your local crisis line is by visiting www.suicide.org, which is a fantastic resource, and lists international crisis lines. So please, please listen with intent um, if you are concerned about yourself or someone else and know that we will be dealing with this sensitively because it is a tricky topic but it's also a really really important topic. It's a new term, it's good to be back in school and I'm really glad that we're starting with such an important topic because I think it's really important to talk about suicide for a very long time this has been a subject that is considered a real taboo and that people find really challenging to talk about and will often use other language sort of hide the fact that this is what's being discussed and as you and I both know when we don't use correct language that really just exasperates those feelings of shame and um, this idea that you know people feel excluded or different so um, yeah I think it's really important that we're really transparent and honest about this. I agree and I think what we also know from the research is that open and honest conversations about suicide reduces the risk of suicide and for so many years we felt so uncomfortable with the topic and danced around it that we're not having those open conversations and so we're not always bringing down the risk when perhaps we have the opportunity to do so. So Claire, some people listening might be wondering, um, you know, is this just two people having a chat about what they know about suicide or do we actually have sort of a little bit of a, a background or some experience to guide us here? So I think that's a really good question and a good thing to be wondering about when we are talking about serious um, subjects or subjects which could have big implications for people. Um, I always think it's a good idea to check people's credentials. Um, So to reassure the audience, Benina and I are both um, trained in suicide intervention. We're trained in a particular programme called Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training, the ASSIST programme, which um, is designed and we were trained by LivingWorks, um, which is a fantastic um, organisation which aims to help reduce numbers of suicides across the world. 
So it's an internationally recognised and used training programme and it's designed to equip anybody, whether you already have some specialist skills or whether you're just a member of a, a community um, or a, a lay person essentially, um, it equips anybody with the skills to intervene with somebody who's having thoughts of suicide and help to take steps to help them be safer. Yeah, so the course describes itself in some ways as suicide first aid and it's exactly that. It's a course that equips you to, to step in when someone is having suicidal thoughts or um, suicidal behaviours and to sort of administer first aid to that person until experts and emergency services, if needed, can be called. I think the other thing that Claire and I just wanted to flag is that we wanted to start the term talking about this because COVID has really impacted um, numbers of suicide across the world. So we've definitely seen an increase in suicide rates. Um, a lot of people have been really impacted by things like a lockdown where they've had to stay in their homes, um, where they haven't had their normal support structures, maybe where they're feeling more distanced um, from some of those connections that they normally have, which keep them safe. Absolutely. One of the studies I was reading recently, it's the CDC, the Centre for Disease Control in um, America. They've done a huge survey and they've discovered that um, prior to this survey, which is obviously relating to the COVID period, more than twice as many respondents reported serious consideration of suicide. So the figure has gone up from 4.3%, which was in 2018, up to 10.7% um, in June 2020. So I think that's really significant, not just in the US, but for us as well in recognising people's mental health needs, people's risk, and like you say, the lack of connection and support that might be available. One of the things that we are taught on assist is the importance of language when talking about suicide um, and some of the connotations that have historically been established with the language that we've used in the past. So, for example, we talk about someone committing suicide in the same way that you might talk about someone committing a crime or a sin. There are really serious negative connotations there. Absolutely. There's a judgment implies in that that makes you think of, of criminals or bad people. And um, when we know that people who suicide, which is the way that we talk about it, um, are in fact people who are struggling with problems in their lives that seem overwhelming. And this seems like the only the only solution that they have at that time. We also try not to talk about attempted suicides because if you attempt something and you don't do it, is that a failure or is that a success? It, it kind of muddies the water. So we talk about suicide behaviours because, again, it takes some of the judgment out of that and some of the kind of feeling that you haven't done that right either if you have failed in your suicide attempt. I think the other one to think about is when we use language to sort of try and protect ourselves. So sometimes when people are afraid of, of saying something like suicide or that someone's killed themselves or tried to kill themselves we try to cover that up by saying things like oh you know they tried something silly they tried to do something stupid um did you try and hurt yourself and all that really does is diminish the seriousness of the situation and means that we're not really the confronting the reality that's going on 
And as you said, Claire, again, it's it's another judgment. It's I can't believe you know you're foolish enough to try and do this. So in the same way that we use the correct terminology, you know, when we do sex ed with the kids at school, we, we really emphasize that you've got to use the correct terminology and the correct language. If you want to change how people perceive something, if you want to be transparent and honest, and it's the same with suicide. So we speak really clearly using the words, the correct terminology, the correct words, and just being really clear about what we're speaking about. Some of the other things that are really prevalent are myths about suicide. So we'd thought that we would spend the rest of the podcast today just trying to address some of those myths or fears to kind of clarify why it's important to talk about suicide, why it's important to take people seriously if we feel that they are having thoughts of suicide and what types of people might be at risk of suicide because there's lots of myths around that as well. Does that sound like a good idea, Benina? It sounds like a great idea, Claire. Myths away. Okay, number one myth, probably the most common one we encounter from people that do the assist course with us. We also encounter it uh, with staff, parents especially, is the fear that if you ask someone if they are suicidal or if they are thinking about killing themselves, then you are more likely to make it happen or you might be putting the idea in their head. You are right. This is one of the most common fears that comes up. And we know from the research that this is a huge myth that asking about suicide does not make people more likely to suicide. Um, And the open talk about suicide reduces the risk of suicide. So you're definitely not going to do any harm, especially if you're asking through concern and care for somebody. We've got to remember that, especially with adults, um, suicide isn't something that people have never heard of. You know, if somebody's really struggling in their lives and you say, I'm really concerned about you, you seem to have changed and you're, you're struggling, are you thinking about suicide? They're not going to take that as a suggestion. Um, they're going to take that as you having recognised that they're going through a really difficult period right now. I always think about it this way, which is that at this moment in time, I don't have thoughts of suicide, which later on will obviously cover doesn't make me immune. But if someone was to ask me that question as someone without thoughts of suicide, you know, my my immediate reaction is going to be, well, no, that's not what I'm thinking right now. Um, And even I think if maybe struggling generally or or feeling down or depressed, if, if I'm not already thinking that, that's not going to enter my brain. And I think if you ask that question, and there's a hesitation, then in all honesty, that idea was almost certainly already there. Um, And it's such a big and significant decision. And like you said, the research says it's not possible to put that idea into someone's head. Um, And I think even with young people and children, they, they do know what suicide is. They might talk about, for example, like wanting to end their life or bring everything to an end. So they have that conceptual understanding of what that means. And if you ask that question and the reply is is yes, then those thoughts are are already there. Yeah. And if somebody is so close to thinking about suicide that the mere question is the thing that really crystallises that for them, then they need help anyway. And it's far better 
that that comes about in the context of a caring conversation than through scrolling on the internet late at night when there's no support there and that idea comes to them. Why do you think sometimes people are afraid of asking Claire? Why do you think sometimes people you know really struggle to ask that question? I think there's there's definitely the fear and I think relating to the myth that they might put the idea in someone's head. I think there's also the fear of what somebody might say. I think we're not always equipped to deal with the answer. We never want somebody that we care about to say yes. I mean, that affects us as well emotionally. And so sometimes it's easier to just avoid the situation altogether or to kind of gloss over things a little bit because it helps us to feel more comfortable. And that's not necessarily about us being selfish. It's just I don't want to go there because I don't know how I'll deal with that. I don't feel equipped or somebody else might deal with it or I'm not the professional. And so there's quite a lot of fear and avoidance wrapped up in in asking about suicide. Um, I guess it would be a good time here just to say the assist course explains what to do if someone said yes to the question, are you thinking about suicide? I guess our recommendation to people would be um, if you do have this conversation with somebody and you're concerned, contact a crisis line and if they're in immediate danger, call emergency services. Always, yeah. And just again to highlight that in Singapore, you've got the Samaritans of Singapore. It's a 24-hour crisis line. You can contact them in 1-800-221-4444. Or if you're ever outside of Singapore and you need um, an international crisis line, you can go to www.suicide.org, which lists international crisis lines. So the second myth, Claire, which is Another one that comes up a lot is this idea that it's only people that have mental health problems or a history of depression um, that will suicide and that essentially like the suicide is the end of a end of a pathway that probably has been preceded by other mental health challenges. I think we've got two kind of points to make about that, which is that people who suicide are not necessarily suffering from diagnosed mental health disorders, but also people who have mental health disorders will not necessarily go on to suicide. So although there may be an overlap, um, we do know that there is an increased risk with certain mental health disorders um, of suicide. It does not mean that one equals the other or that one has to be present to equal the other. Suicide often comes about because of a build-up of a multitude of problems that people feel they don't have any other way out to deal with and yet that may be bringing up some difficult emotions but that doesn't necessarily mean that that person has a diagnosis or presentation of depression. I think it's really important to remember that because what we don't want to do is is miss somebody that's at risk because you know, historically, they've coped really well, they're emotionally resilient. Um, There's somebody that we, we don't see as struggling normally in this way. And I think if you sort of put someone in that box, you might miss what's going on with them right now, which is that they could be struggling. And I think similarly, if you put somebody who does suffer maybe from something like anxiety in that box and, and are always worried about the possibility that they may suicide, you might not actually then spend the time helping them with the thing that they need they need help with. People's journey to suicide, how they get to the point where they feel suicidal can be very different. For some people that can be very slow and for others it can be very quick. And so it's not going to always have the same indicators. 
So we can't always just be looking out for um, sort of mental health concerns. We might need to sort of be looking out more generally for things that, that are causing us to, to wonder if this person is thinking about suicide. And related to this, I suppose, is one of the myths that I hear quite often is that successful people or people who have everything in their lives aren't at risk. You hear this all the time. You think about, you know, when a famous person suicides or even maybe somebody, you know, and their response is, oh, my goodness, that doesn't make sense. They had a nice job. They had a loving partner. In some ways, we're saying, oh, well, all these things should be enough reason for that not to happen. Um, but actually, we, you know, we we see from the media and from the press that, you know, nobody nobody is immune or exempt to the risk of suicidal thoughts or suicidal behaviours. Yeah, it's about one in twenty people will be having thoughts of suicide behaviour in a year, and about eighty percent of adults will have thoughts of suicide at some point in their lives. So I think that's really important to note that none of us are immune. Obviously, thoughts of suicide don't always translate into suicide behaviours or suicides themselves. But I think it is important to note that this is a human situation that any of us can find ourselves in. And it's important that we're able to talk about it and seek the help that we need without feeling shame or stigma or feeling that we shouldn't be feeling this way because we've got X, Y or Z in our lives. I agree. Again, if society says, well, you know, if you're successful, you shouldn't be thinking this way, then somebody who is successful with thoughts of suicide is even less likely to want to seek out help because they would feel maybe that their thoughts aren't legitimate and that they don't have the right to reach out or to feel the way that they do. Yeah, and adding stigma to someone who is in a really low, dark place is not going to be helpful for them at any point. So the next myth that comes up, and I think this one comes up when people are thinking about adults, but I think in our context, it comes up a lot when we think about uh, teenagers especially, is a belief held by some people that if someone acts on suicide behaviours or tells you that they're suicidal, that essentially it's just a call for attention and that they're not serious. And I, I guess the most alarming thing that we sometimes hear is, what well, if they're serious, they would have done it by now. Yes, I, I would agree with that. And I think that's sometimes what leads to these horrible scenes that we see um, in the media or that have happened where somebody is perhaps standing somewhere and is very imminently about to suicide and people are shouting, really unhelpful things, um, almost as if they're kind of daring them because of this idea that if they're standing there and they haven't done it yet, they're not serious. Whereas actually what we know is that usually there is at least a part of a person that wants to live or that might want a reason to live and that can hold them back. And that's the part that we need to capitalise on not the part that we need to um, say, oh, we are just doing it for attention. If somebody is reaching out for help, we need to take that seriously all the time. Because even if they were only saying it to exaggerate how they were feeling, well, they're obviously still feeling really terrible and there's things in their lives that they need help and support with. And I think if we dismiss people's asking for help, because that means they're not serious, but then we're similarly not taking note when people aren't asking for help, 
then what we're doing is we're avoiding the entire uh, situation altogether and we know that that doesn't help intervene with suicide. What about self-harm and suicide? Because I, I think there can be some misunderstanding here and I've definitely heard people before sort of equate self-harm as a call for help and that you know that suicide comes next after that or, or self-harm is a, a failed in inverted commas suicide attempt what's the relationship between those two so again there, there can be links between the two but they're not necessarily linked so many people will experience um, self-harm, either thoughts of self-harm or self-harm behaviours, and some people use that as a coping strategy or to manage situations that are going on in their lives at that time, but they aren't having thoughts of suicide and won't go on to develop them. Some people who are having thoughts of suicide may be self-harming as well, but it's really important that we don't interlink them or interchange them uh, I think we touched on this before that sometimes we'll talk to people and say have you thought about hurting yourself and actually what we're meaning is have you thought about killing yourself and that's a very different question because if killing yourself is to try and end all of this pain and turmoil that you're in then that's almost in some ways the opposite of hurting yourself so I think that's another reason we've got to be really clear in the language that we're using when we're talking to people so that we are acknowledging the actual situation. Yeah, I guess one of the common themes of the four myths that we've talked about so far is one, just to be so careful about stereotyping the type of people that are likely to suicide. And I think the second thing that's come across to me from our conversation is how much of our behaviour maybe as the person who doesn't have thoughts of suicide is, is focused on protecting ourselves because we don't want to have the awkward conversation. We don't want to feel uncomfortable. We don't want to confront the reality. And I guess in all of this is asking people to be brave um, and to be open about this as a subject and to demonstrate a model that this is something that you're comfortable and happy to talk about. There are probably ways that you can demonstrate that as an educator or a parent before you're in a situation where you need to react to somebody. So, um, you know, if it happens in the press or the media, or maybe it happens to a family friend or a friend of a friend, I guess taking that as an opportunity to have a frank discussion about suicide and even, you know, not from an expert point of view, but just from a human point of view and an opportunity to think about why might someone do that? What could you do if you found yourself in that situation? I know in the course, one of the things that we say to participants is just have somebody in your mind. Who would you go and ask for help? But there are lots of opportunities, unfortunately, because of, you know, the press or a program where suicide is part of the program or a book where suicide is part of the book. It's it's an opener for a conversation to say, I'm happy to talk about this. And, you know, if, if you're ever feeling this way, you need to ask for help. So myth number five, which I find a really interesting one, is that people need a proper reason. Um, I've, I've definitely heard this before where after maybe someone has suicided, the media or friends have essentially said, well, you know, I can't believe they did that. Um, what reason did they have? Nothing that bad has happened to them. And so I wonder what you think about that in terms of what we think about what the reason should be to lead you to thinking that suicide is the answer. 
So I suppose I've got a few a few thoughts on that. One is that we we never know what has happened to somebody. Um, it's, it's very difficult to know everything about somebody else's past experiences um, traumas or what has had an impact on them, their life and their brain. Um, but also I think that things build up in different ways for different people. So something that I find stressful, you might not and vice versa. And lots and lots and lots of small stresses can add up in varying ways and can add up to be just as stressful as something really big. And I think if somebody's dealing with many, many small stresses and if they're dealing perhaps with things that have happened in their past or different feelings that they've got, um, that all on the face of it can look like nothing has happened when actually fact the person is dealing with a lot of different things day in, day out, the feelings that that's giving them and therefore the thought that the only way to escape all of these things is by suicide, by ending their life. One of the other things that I've sometimes heard or noted is that after someone has suicided that um, family members or friends or the media suggest that the suicide itself, the, the act of suicide is selfish. I think that's a really tricky one because it's understandable from the perspective of the people who have been left behind. And it's also understandable because as observers looking in on a situation with hindsight, it often seems to us very obvious the different paths that somebody could have taken. Whereas when somebody is in that situation, it may be that that looks like the only path available to them at the time. And usually people who suicide or engage in suicide behaviours are not doing it for selfish reasons, especially if they have a family or people that care about them. They're more often doing it because they think people will be better off without them. And I think that in itself is incredibly sad. And then to feel that people are judging those people as being selfish is even more sad. And it brings us back to the idea of the context or history of a lot of judgment being wrapped up in the topic of suicide. So the final myth that we wanted to talk about is the idea that suicide is only a risk to teenagers or adults and that young children are not at risk of suicide. I would say that generally younger children can be safer from suicide because there's much higher supervision and perhaps less access to things, but it does not mean that young children are not at risk of thoughts of suicide. And I've definitely had experience of surprisingly young children um, expressing thoughts of suicide and also tragically of young children who have engaged in suicide behaviour or who have in fact suicided. So I think we've got to be aware of that if a young person, regardless of how young they are, is expressing thoughts of suicide, we still have to take that seriously and we still have to address what is going on for that young person that is making them feel that way. Recently in the UK, um, a pupil who I think was 11, suiciding because she had been bullied. And I think things like social media and especially access to social media by younger pupils is going to be reducing some of those protective factors. So what you just said about, you know, in some ways, younger children are safe. Um, 
yes, that's true when they're very young. But as soon as they get more access online, some of those risks increase. And I think as well with COVID, just being aware that children as much as adults have lost, you know, some of those connections and support structures that even if we're all in the same home doesn't necessarily mean that we're connecting and that so much time spent online you know there are certain risks attached to that i think in singapore the youngest case that i read of was a 9 year old who had engaged in suicide behaviors so i think it's in an effort to be transparent and you know keep our eyes open to the situation that a young child who expresses maybe suicidal thoughts and that we do need to take them seriously if they express those things. So we've addressed a lot of the myths around suicide. Should we talk very briefly about what it is that we do in school to yeah. try and create a suicide safer community? I think that's a great one. I think what you just said there, Claire, about the suicide safer community is probably worth unpicking a little bit, which is Ultimately, the foundations of the ASSIST course and the belief that um, the course is sort of premised on is that suicide is preventable. But we also know that it's complicated, it's difficult, we're all human, and that things get missed and that we can't successfully intervene all the time. But what we can do is be really proactive in our in what it means to be a suicide safe community and do what we can to reduce some of that risk so for us at school being a suicide safe community means talking honestly and openly about suicide it means having staff who are assist trained um how many staff have we done now claire who are assist trained approximately well, we're definitely over 80. And when we run the assist course, there's one of the things that we're really proud of is that before COVID, we invite staff from other international schools to attend because the more people that can be trained to be aware of what to do, then the better for our wider community as a whole. We also do training in Safe Talk, which is the step below assist, but it's a very, very good introductory um, half day workshop and um, we've um, been able to offer that to students in our sixth form and also to parents which has been fantastic. Hopefully we'll be able to get back to having parents on site soon and do another parent workshop for that. And I think Claire and I would both say that in our time at school people's attitudes to this have really changed and it's been a great culture shift to see and one that we're really proud of and you know, a few years ago when we were advertising these courses, there were some concerns about using the word suicide in the title of the courses that we were advertising. And that was understandable because we hadn't challenged that before. It was really great to see our leadership team um, as a school really shift their mindset on that and say, you know, actually, we do need to really talk openly about it. We do need to use the right language. And we are going to invest time and resources in making sure that um, our staff are, are really equipped to deal with this and, and aren't afraid to talk about it, ask questions and support each other. One of the important things to highlight as well is that we, we didn't introduce 
this plan to create a suicide safer community because we had a problem with suicide. It wasn't that we had any more issues with it than any other school or international school. It's just that we recognised it as a gap in our proactive approaches and so we've taken real big steps to address that but I also think that the training and the comfort that people have taken from this in being able to have these open conversations has translated into better conversations in general in relation to pastoral care or safeguarding people have taken some of the skills that they've learned and applied it in other conversations and other situations where they may have felt uncomfortable previously, but this has equipped them with the skills to be able to deal with a difficult situation in a way that's helpful for the person who's going through that difficult situation. So I guess a good thing to finish on would be training opportunities and where people can find out more information. Unfortunately, at the moment with COVID, we're limited in terms of the face-to-face training that we can do. But if you would like to engage with some online training, so if you go to the Living Works website, they have a one-hour introduction called Living Works Start. I think it's about $20 and you can register to do that. And that really just goes through some of the principles that we've covered in more detail that we've covered today, but also what for first part of an intervention might be if you're concerned about somebody the living works website also has links to other resources what else could people do claire anybody who's linked to our school can definitely keep an eye out and once things start opening up again and be assured that we will be offering some safe talk and assist training as soon as we can and i think just always remember as well that you're never alone there's lots and lots of support in our community if you are ever in a situation where somebody is in crisis or you need immediate help, please always remember to call the emergency services. Or if you have somebody who perhaps needs to talk and you don't know how to do that, again, there's always crisis lines available. So in Singapore, it's the Samaritans of Singapore, which is 1-800-221-4444. Or you can, as I say, go on this www.suicide.org website for international crisis lines. So wherever you are in the world, there should be somebody who can help you if you find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do and you're worried about somebody who's having thoughts of suicide. If you are a parent of a child who goes to our school, you can, of course, always reach out to us for help through your child's tutor, teacher, counsellor or or any member of staff who would be able to direct you to somebody who can help and support. When we started off the podcast, uh, we obviously gave a bit of a trigger warning because the topic is about suicide, but I think both of us could talk about suicide for much longer well, for days, actually, when we do the training, we talk about it for two full days at a time and often afterwards. And I think part of the journey that we can all go on and part of the thing that we can all do is just to become more comfortable with the language of it, becoming more comfortable with the conversation. So hopefully that's what we have done today, modelling comfort with the word, modelling comfort with the topic, because when we have these open and honest conversations, it makes it easier for people who are in that situation to have those conversations with us. We know that suicide is a layered, complex issue. It's not simple to solve. But we also know that conversations about suicide are a really important part of creating a suicide safer community.